Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And today we're delighted to be joined by Simon Chapel. And um, Simon is a sobro and founder yeah. of Be Sober and author of the Sober Survival Guide. And it's just really, really nice to have another man. Or oh, we've only had, if we only had one man or two men, two two men so far. Yeah, yeah. 62 so two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Three's a good one, and um, you know we're really happy and delighted to speak to you today, Simon. Um, so welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's so awesome to be here. I followed you guys for ages, so it's a real honour to be on your podcast. Thanks. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and we always start before we kind of dive into your, um, you know, the alcohol-free journey and what you've been, yeah, what you've been doing and how you've been living. Um, we always start with a bit of a check-in. So, um, so how are you doing, Mandy? I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm pretty tired of the big change. Um, I, uh, you know, when it's sort of the middle of the night and you have weird kind of conscious thought, I thought that my cat sitting on my head because she wanted food, I thought the best solution was not to give her food because it would teach her a lesson for waking me up in the middle of the night. But now I realise that cats don't really have that logical thought, so the best thing would have been to get up and give her food. So she basically just sat on me from about four onwards, and then I'd kick her off, and then she'd come back on, and then I'd kick her off. So, um, yeah, learn a lesson that she wins, essentially, and um, <laughs> I should just get up and feed her. So I'm a bit tired now. Um, that, I'm all right. How, How are you doing? Me or Simon? You. <laughs> and then we'll get to Sarah, I guess. <laughs> yeah um i'm quite tired as well and we were talking about this and i think this is why we've we've um we've taken we've had a few takes already today um <laughs> a lot embarrassingly a lot of takes and poor simon's being kind of really sort of patient <laughs> with us but i think we were just sort of saying that it's well it's sober january isn't it so yeah. it's a really busy time to kind of anyone who works with sobriety. But it's also come at the end of the period of school closure, known as the holidays, for parents. And it's a really full-on time. So we're all, well, I don't know about you, Summer, but we're absolutely knackered, really having to kind of battle through. <laughs> I'm yeah, feeling I'm really moany about it. And we're like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the same. I mean, you're right. Dry January you know, it's, it's a, a hot topic at this time of year. Um Lots of people wanting to talk about sobriety and discuss how they're going to get through dry January. You're absolutely right. And I'm feeling pretty tired too. <laughs> and uh, funny you say about pets and your cat on your head, Mandy, but my son's, um, he went on and on at me. He's been wanting birds for ages and we've just got him two budgeries. So if you hear any um, noisy creeping <laughs> sounds, that'll be what it is. He'll add a bit of depth and substance to the podcast. Amazing. It'll be like being in the Amazon or something with these yeah. kind of bird song in the back. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I, you just reminded me of I've got a friend who, she is so lovely. She was my son's godmother, or she is my son's godmother. And she basically 
adopted a budgie that from someone who didn't want it and we were like why didn't you want it and then we went round to visit her and basically it was the most evil thing <laughs> and it would just sit on your hand and just attack the hand and peck and peck and peck and peck until you put it back in the cage so, hopefully so we're good not luck any, yeah hopefully we're not gonna have any episodes like that <laughs> oh but it's nice random got pet chat yeah yes. random pet chat and then, and so, yeah, you've got obviously a busy time uh, at the moment with your book, and we'll talk a little bit about the events coming up and et cetera later. But um, we normally start by talking about your kind of uh, journey to sobriety, if that's okay, and what brought you to the decision to go alcohol-free. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I, I won't give you the really long version because we, we haven't got all day, but I mean, I drank from the age of about 14 or 15. My dad used to drink red wine every day, and I used to pester him for a glass of it. And he eventually started letting me have a drink with my dinner. That turned into me taking the remains of the bottle to my bedroom. Then my friends and I were getting our own booze, hanging around at the off-license, sending the oldest member of the gang in, and then going around our friend's house during the school holidays and drinking all day. Um, then we were going into pubs underage, which was so easy because I live in a military town and there's lots of young, sort of fresh-faced recruits. And we were going to the pub three or four times a week. I carried on like that for years. Then I got to 25. My wife and I moved into our first house. And I'd say that's where my drinking went to a new level, where I was drinking every day. And I knew she'd become aware of how much I was drinking. So I moved on from wine bottles to wine boxes because they're a lot easier to get rid of in the recycling as well. The neighbours don't notice, they don't make any noise. And she couldn't see how much I was drinking out of these boxes either. And I stayed in that cycle for over 20 years. And I had my anxiety just got worse and worse. There was a point I used to work for a firm of solicitors and I was the marketing director. And I had to give a monthly marketing presentation to about 15 people and my anxiety had got so bad I had to say to the owner of the business can you read my talk out uh, because I just couldn't do it anymore and to me sitting in the corner like a timid mouse and feeling slightly embarrassed was better than the fear of having a panic attack um, and these days I run my own business and the same thing happened I got to a stage where I just couldn't do it anymore I was having a meltdown about stuff that hadn't even happened and it was just getting too much. So I took some time out to find some headspace and explore my anxiety. And I went to doctors, counsellors, I went to a hypnotherapist, hardly any of them really dug into my drinking. The doctor asked how much I drank and obviously I lied. And But I didn't, um, none of them said to me, like, if you cut out alcohol, your anxiety is going to improve. And that now I look back, it amazes me that none of them actually really delved into that because to me that now I now know that was the issue. So I carried on and I, I actually think I was stuck in a place for about five years where I knew I had a problem, but I didn't know what the hell to do about it. And the thought of not drinking filled me with dread. So I just carried on drinking. And then there was one morning I was sat on my computer and my hands were shaking uncontrollably and I couldn't stop them. And it happened again the next day. And that was the kind of straw that broke the camel's back. There was all, I had lots of cognitive dissonance going on, lots of conflicting thoughts in my mind, lots of, I want to stop, I don't want to stop. And then that was the tipping point where I then went to a place where I started reading sober books. And I picked up This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. I read my way through that. 
it's the only book I've ever read twice in a row. And I had lots of teary meltdowns, lots of setbacks along the way, but I finally managed to make one decision and it felt like ending a toxic relationship. It, it was a relationship that had gone bad. And I even wrote a divorce letter to Red Wine, which is on my blog if anyone wants to read it. And that, But it gave me a sense of closure. It felt exactly like a relationship that had gone sour. And a lot of people say that to me. And I encourage people I coach with to do the same thing when they feel ready. So that's the short version anyway of my kind of journey from drinking to quitting. It's very well, resonates massively, I think, with both mm. Kate and I. It made me feel a little bit, uh, yeah, teary, I suppose, and just yeah. kind of that not only that that reaction from the medical, you know, uh, establishment, which just doesn't put those links together between sort of mental health and, and alcohol and also the, the, the toxic relationship. Mm. You know, I definitely, definitely yeah. want to write a divorce letter. Yeah. So I'm going to do that today. Um, it's a great it idea. Is, and it's just, it's that thing of, um, especially, you know, for me, I was a stay-at-home mom. you know, I was very lonely, I was living in another country, I didn't have that support around me, and it, and it had become my friend, it was just the thing that I could rely upon, and the thing that was my support. And um, your frenemy. Yeah, and then it became my enemy, absolutely, mm. and, and... And I think so many people resonate with that kind mm. of analogy. So thank you well, for yeah, thank yeah, highlighting you. that. And I find that interesting. Like, I don't know if you mind me delving into this so so early. But what I find interesting about that is that on sober forums, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of women. And I feel like I've had a bit of a blank where it comes to men and sobriety. So there's this sort of various talk about, okay, so women relate differently and there's talk about having a relationship with it. And it's almost like, oh, but men do it for, oh, because of social reasons or whatever. And I find it very interesting that you linked it to anxiety and a relationship. So I'm really interested to, to sort of find out about yeah, what you think's happening or maybe what support you think is missing for men in sobriety? Because women have got it down right at the moment, it seems. So what's going on for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. And you see books like Quit Like a Woman and yeah. things like that, you know, and, and people realise that, I, I hate to say the word market, but, you know, that it, it is a bit like that. You know, it, if you look at my Be Sober group, 75% of the members are women. Um, and I... I think it boils down to the fact that women are comfortable sharing their feelings in a safe space, sharing their feelings, sharing their emotions, connecting with other people, reaching out for help, which is an awesome thing. And I've had guys message me saying that they feel uncomfortable. You know, it's, it's, it's not macho. It's not the done thing to share our feelings. And that's why I've, or one of the reasons I've put myself out there my my life my story is an open book literally and I want to kind of not necessarily lead the way but I want to be part of this revolution and get guys talking about this topic that is uncomfortable and of course alcohol comes with that stigma wrongly but it's got that stigma attached to it which makes it all the more uncomfortable for people to talk about it but you know the the safe spaces like the sober groups and you know all the things you can do online now it is easy for guys to do that and any guys listening to this don't feel you need to bottle this stuff up you know the support's there the will welcome you with open arms, whether you need to talk to a guy or a, or a girl, whatever, it, whoever it needs to be. There's people out there ready and waiting to help. 
Yeah, it's really interesting what you say, because um, again, I'm just going to sort of digress slightly, but what you said about men sort of ch- talking, and I've, I'm a member of a really amazing yoga studio in, 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 Sus- in mid-Sussex, and they're sort of um, mental health informed, right, and, and trauma informed, I'd say. And one of the things, it's a very female space, but one of the things that the the men, so a really dear friend and yoga teacher called Silas, he used to work in mental health, they're starting a men's sharing circle and they got a psychotherapist and their whole thing was, and he was talking to me the other day and saying, all the places where men used to connect and share and talk and sort shit out have closed down and literally it's almost like they can't find each other like and the he t- t- took it back to the pub and said you know it, that's a real problem isn't it because that's like okay men used to do it in the pub but then if you've you've got not only you've got problematic relationships with alcohol but then you've also got the isolation and I was thinking about uh, Laura Willoughby and what she's doing with the club soda which is like trying to revive the pub culture but make place for sober too and maybe how that might, I don't know, how that might affect men because it's almost like speaking to their world somehow. I don't know. Yeah, Just absolutely. I mean, I, I never, thankfully, would, I didn't used to sort of go to the pub at, like, at lunchtime at work or go and, you know, a lot of guys, there's guys I know used to just sort of go on their own, take the newspaper and connect. And I can see why that presents a challenge if you then realise you've got a problem with alcohol and you need to... You know, that's not going to be part of your life anymore. And as you kind of touched on, a lot of pubs are closing. I don't know if you meant pubs, actually, when you said there's not safe spaces, places to connect. But, you know, a lot of guys do do that. They go down the pub and sort of shit out. Like, um, you know, they're all being replaced by Starbucks, Costas and Sainsbury's. But, you know, that same level of connection doesn't exist in a Costa coffee. You don't go and sort of sit at the bar and talk to a stranger. So that is a challenge. I think it's part of anybody who's running sober groups or putting themselves out there in the sober sphere to encourage guys to talk. I mean, you can do it from your smartphone. You don't even need to go to a pub or a coffee shop on your sofa and connect with people on the other side of the world who will totally resonate with you know be able to resonate with what you say they'll get it they'll be on the same journey and you know you can suddenly feel a whole lot better but i think the big issue is getting guys to open up and share i mean this is why it's mainly males unfortunately who commit suicide because they don't talk about stuff they don't open up enough and you know it is way better than it it was um, but this whole you know it, it makes you look or I think some guys think it makes them look weak and it doesn't make them be a man. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's going back to that kind of toxic masculinity from childhood. I mean, it's, uh, I, mean I could get on my feminist tip and say it's no better for women in terms of, of how we're, you know, pigeonholed to be kind of, you know, pretty and stay quiet and, you know... Um, and not voice our opinions or be mm. loud. And, but certainly so, yeah. there is a lot, there is a lot of uh, change and a lot um, out there. And actually I have seen how that can impact on negatively on boys. I mean, because I'm quite a strong kind of, you know, I teach my daughter, you know, about, and we were looking at sort of T-shirts, again, sort of going off topic, but we were looking at T-shirts on a, on a sort of fashion website 
and there were loads about you know what's your superpower being a girl like you know um who runs the world girls etc and my son there's nothing oh bless him and he was just like and I was like what's going on he was like but what have I done like what have I done that's so bad so there's a whole you know Mm. there's lots of different questions there for men I mean not only are they sort of you know still this rhetoric of like be a man don't cry don't show your emotions you know don't and there's a lot of negativity in, in terms of homosexuality, you know, like don't be gay, all those things that I still hear. But again, with the kind of feminist revolution, there is that kind of, yeah, sort of isolation of men as well. So, yeah, I think you're very much right that there needs to be big conversations about that and how yeah. And also, just to touch on what you said, so my son is 15 and it's quite funny. I'm so. In my book, I refer all the way through to it as my daughter. And uh, I had I had an email from somebody last week, and it says, Simon, you often talk about your son, but your book all the way through, it says your daughter. So he's been exploring his gender identity over the last couple of years and his sexuality. Um, and and you know, what you just said about T-shirts, that really sort of sticks in my mind as the, you know, the same sort of thing. We've had the same sort of thing happening. And... Um, I first of all, I feel like I've been a proper dad to him because I don't drink. Like the old me, if he had the drinking me, if he'd come and sort of said, Look, I'm, I've got challenges around my my gender. I'm not sure what's going on here. I probably would have buried my head in the sand and just broke open another bottle of Shiraz. Whereas I feel like we've connected. We've in, you know, enjoyed the journey and I've been there for him supported him and kind of held his hand as we've gone forward and I feel like I, I can kind of hand on heart say I've been the best dad I can possibly be you know in, in that situation and anyway so I, when I was writing my book I'd put some all the way through it and I, I, I've got a lady who works with me she kind of basically corrects all my errors and there's a lot and uh, she we had it on a shared document and she said Simon I don't know what's happened to your book it says daughter all the way through it but some of it hasn't been changed and I can't work it out and I thought it was the software had messed it up anyway long story short I'd gone out and he'd come down to my laptop and changed every instance of son to daughter so I said to him is is that how you want it to be we hadn't really talked about pronouns to any great extent at that point in time so um yeah so out of you know, complete respect for who he, she wants to be. We're still not completely there yet with it anyway. Mm. um, That was how the book went out. And it it amazed me actually that only one or two people have ever mentioned it. And I've never, I purposely never really delved into it, but it was just you saying about the girls' superpowers. Mm. Because often when we're buying him clothes, you know, he sort of prefers it if it comes from a girl's shop but looks gender neutral. But we're going off on a completely different topic now. (laughs) No, but I... a yeah, wonderful so. topic. So. I am, um, and I have to say, yeah, I feel incredibly emotional listening to you talk like that. Um, being a bloke and bit talking about your son, daughter, and being open there, to that yeah. is like, I don't know, it's just like a shining beacon of hope to me mm. that, uh, that is an antidote to that toxic masculinity that you were you quite rightly reference mandy and that mm. you know those big big conversations and about compassion self-compassion acceptance 
being enough, being okay, which is so needed for men. Like I think that's that's those are some of those things, aren't they? Are like I'm enough, I'm okay, and yeah. there's something about that, and I find that beautiful. <laughs> I'm quite so true, and but we're all yeah, we're all enough. I don't want to get on my yeah. spiritual rant, but uh, and I, I actually. I touched on the topic of my son's gender when I still call him my son and that's not me misgendering him. He said until he's where he wants to be, that's how he wants to be referred to, but he wanted his daughter in the book. Anyway, um, on, when I spoke on stage in This Naked Mind, I touched on this topic and it, I actually like welled up about it because I think because it was such a big event and there's loads of people there, it kind of made me quite emotional. And afterwards I had seven people and I think four of them were guys come up to me and tell me that their kids were transgender and tell me about how alcohol was featured in how they've handled the situation. And I actually thought, wow, this is like a, you know, I've opened up a conversation. Yeah. And I, I haven't really spoken much about this topic at kind of out of respect for my teenager but again it's going on and it's more I think because it's so much more accepted now more people are talking about it and being open about it but guys it's you know it's the same as you say it's the same thing there's a lot of guys are going through this stuff with their their teenagers and they're just keeping it to themselves and bottling it up just like relationships with alcohol that have become toxic yeah and I think that's what the, the key thing that you said is that you know, it's very hard to explain to someone that still drinks the kind of the, the self-awareness or being present or being or having that open mindset that comes with being sober and doing the work of kind of getting sober, you know, and, and how that can impact positively on your life and your relationships in the fact that you notice things. You notice, like, I notice that my son is anxious and I notice that he doesn't like to wear pajamas in bed he likes to have soft wrap himself in soft blankets mm-hmm. like I noticed that now I wouldn't have noticed that before just because I wasn't aware and I wasn't so sort of minutely mindful of my experience in life that reflects upon other people and um so yeah it's, it's a really beautiful share for for us to have that with you because I think it's really really interesting and really important you know mm. sort of and I think the other thing, you know, I've kind of recognised the behaviours that I carried out while I was drinking. Like I was quite grumpy, quite moody, quite snappy. I could be quite uh, aggressive in my tone with him and my wife. And I've got, like, when I talk about sober, to me, it's totally not, and I'm sure with you, it's totally not just I don't drink. It's a whole journey of self-discovery. And I've kind of gone on this journey and recognised these things that I used to do. And as you said, I'm so mindful of stuff now. I'm so much more present and aware. And I know if I've said something out of turn and, I, uh, I, and I'll mm. put it right and I'm conscious of how my actions impact on other people. And hopefully my son will learn from, from that too and he'll see the changes. I, I often get people say to me that they've drunk for 20 years, it's too late to make a change with their kids, you know, the damage is done. But my son saw me drinking for his entire life up to the age of 13 and now he's seen the sober me and he, he loves the sober me. Hopefully he loved the one before as well a bit. But he, he, he much prefers this version and he's learned as well. Like he's learned lessons about alcohol. He knows things that he can never unlearn and I feel that 
what I've done will set him up in some way for success. I'm sure he'll explore alcohol, but he doesn't seem very interested in it. And he knows he knows a lot more now than he didn't know. So I actually encourage people to, in some way, take their kids on the journey with them and share with them, be open with them, talk to them, communicate. And, and they, be, they can be the biggest member of your support crew. 100%. Yeah, my kids absolutely love that I'm sober in ways that I did not expect mm. at all. So that's a really my positive daughter, thing to say to people. Mm. As well, um, when we, we were at the dentist recently and... I can't remember. I was just having to fill out this form. My daughter's nine. And it was like, uh, they. I don't know if they asked. Oh, no, it's because I had Millie Sober Girl Society badge on. And the lady at the dentist went, what's that say? And then um, Ella went, she's the boss of that. She does the love sober. And she does this. And she totally like promoted me. It was nothing to do with me. It was Millie Sober Girl Society. But she was really proud of it. You know, she was nine. She was like, my mum does that. And da, 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 da. So. And 100%, this couple, you know, and also, this is why it's, it's so important to make it clear that being sober is actually a damn cool thing to do, and we're yeah. part of the we're part <laughs> of the most exclusive, amazing gang in the whole world. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's you a... touched on um, going to America. So if people don't know, can you explain what that was and your involvement in it? Yeah, sure. Well, I've actually um, been a couple of times over the last year. So the. I, when I quit drinking, I started besober.co.uk as a website version of my journal. The, the previous attempts I'd had to quit, I'd been writing everything down by hand. And I thought, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to put some articles out there and share the things that worked, the things that didn't. And hopefully it will help people and it's easier than writing it with a pen. Um, and after I managed to quit a few months later, I thought I'd ask Annie Grace for an interview, and she agreed. So we did an interview on for my website, and at the end of it, she said, oh, have you ever thought about becoming an alcohol coach, which obviously I hadn't. Um, and next thing, I was on a plane to America, spent a week um, at Annie's house training intensively, learning all the tactics for becoming and I was like I can't believe this is actually happening it's just um, incredible um, and I came back a certified this naked mind alcohol coach and I've coached in every alcohol experiment in 28 in 2019 and I'll do the same this year and subsequently Annie invited me to talk on stage at this naked mind live now I mentioned earlier how I used to not be able to talk to a group of 15 people there was probably four or five hundred people in that room and I was able I was nervous and I think that's kind of normal yeah. but I was able to stand on the stage and, and after a minute or two it popped into my head that I was actually enjoying it and I was having fun and <laughs> I, I, I wasn't expecting that to happen mm. oh, that's yeah, amazing so so there was you, Annie, and Joe. I know Jolene, our friend Jolene Park was there as well. Yeah, Jolene was amazing. She actually gave me some tactics because she um, she offers so much advice around the, the nervous system and calming yeah. nerves. So the night before, she had me sat on the stage orientating myself. So, so right. I was 
I knew what to expect when I get on the stage. And then she had me shaking my hands and feet before I went on stage to kind of regulate the central nervous system. But there was also Laura Willoughby spoke in September. So this was um, September last year. Carly Benson, who's absolutely awesome, she she spoke. Her story is just so powerful. Um, and Scott Pinyard, who's Annie's head coach at this Naked Mind as well, he's pretty amazing. So yeah, it was a really awesome event. It's totally different to the Club Soda Mindful Drinking Festival because this is more of a two-day kind of full-on learning experience where you're yeah. sat around a table with taking in and digesting the structured content as opposed to the mindful drinking festivals more of a you know, you've got the stalls you've got lots of different things going on it's more of a kind of i don't know laid back is that the right word yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the environment rather than a, a full-on kind of conference yeah amazing and yeah. um yeah so we'll, we'll get to sort of what's coming up uh, and your book a little bit but i just wanted to sort of in terms of your sort of giving some tips obviously it's dry january and um, just wondered what what's in your kind of uh, your sober toolkit. Like, what's your sort of daily practices or your you know the things that help you? Yeah, well, stay sober. In terms of, I suppose there's two bits to that. In in terms of my toolkit, I I mean now I'm best part of two years into this, and. Obviously, I'm connecting with sober people daily. I'm writing about it, doing videos, things like that. So, like that's enough to keep me focused and motivated. I do meditate daily, only for ten minutes, using the Calm app, um, which just helps calm my mind that never stops chattering. But in terms of Dry January, which my wife is actually doing, and I'm getting her to journal it, and I'm going to publish a sort of her experience of Dry January. Um, I think the biggest thing for people doing dry January or sober curious and just entering into this is not to see it as a challenge, but to see it just like a personal experiment and just to see what happens. Right, but you can fail a challenge. You can't fail an experiment. So if you approach it, just thinking, I'm just going to see how this goes for me and I'm going to see what happens and what comes up during the 30 days, then it's a, a much more comfortable experience. Um, and I talk a lot about changing mindset, which if you're only doing dry January could be a bit of a challenge, but change, I just said challenge after telling me <laughs> it's a challenge, but changing your mindset could be a challenge. I managed to get myself from a place where I felt like I couldn't have a drink, like I was being deprived, it was being taken away from me, to a place where I just didn't want one, and I'm sure you guys have too. Yeah. Alcohol is irrelevant, mm. it's not important. Yeah. And that's the key. And I did that by exploring my beliefs. I used to think, I used to believe that I couldn't have fun without alcohol. I used to believe I couldn't relax without alcohol. My beliefs were wrong. I didn't realise I could have beliefs that were wrong, but they were. And when I made new beliefs that didn't hold me back that didn't limit me as a person i changed my mindset naturally changed and that's the key to becoming sober and having fun at the same time and and becoming at peace and happier in your life um, but i don't i don't actually think you, you could just do that for dry january no, but yeah. yeah i actually wrote a blog post recently about dry january and really the main tips i gave was to journal every day stay engaged 
whether it's listening to podcasts daily, reading reading a couple of chapters of a sober book daily, but definitely writing down your experience, taking a selfie at the start, and then another one after 30 days to see that you know, hopefully the darkness under your eyes has gone, your skin's glowing, all that sort of thing. You know, find new things to do with the time. Avoid any sort of boozy events or places where people might pressure you to drink, um, I think is really important. And if you do have a setback in dry January, it's fine. You know, le- just learn from what happened and use it to grow stronger rather than becoming emotional and beating yourself up about it. I, I encourage people to be like a, det- a detective at a crime scene and think, well, what's happened? Why did it happen? And what can I do differently next time? And then probably the most important one is at the, towards the end of the 30 days, are you willing to make a commitment to yourself for a further extended break from alcohol? Now, if you've if you're feeling happier and your journal is giving you conclusive evidence that your life has improved, would you now think about going on and doing sixty days or ninety days? Yeah, yeah, brilliant. that's interesting. I just wrote down when you were talking. I made notes saying, and it said evidence. It said evidence a few times that we're looking for evidence. Um, and I think that's really important, that kind of documenting it so that you can look mm. back. And the other thing that I really resonates with me is the cognitive dissonance and exploring beliefs because I had that experience. And for me, aligning with values, so an exploration of values, what is important to me, puts a bit of a why in the engine. And also, yeah, those beliefs. And there's a lot of beliefs floating around about oh, moderation is better than da-da-da-da-da. That comes back from Aristotle. What does that even mean? That was about emotions. That wasn't about taking a toxic toxic substance, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, a exactly. lot of, there's a lot of, like, assumptions that float around, especially with the dominant drinking culture, which are layer by layer, you know, you can, you can start to unpick, can't you? So I think that being curious and having a look at it all is a great open approach to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just being really analytical about everything yeah. instead of emotional. It's scientific, isn't it? It is. It's looking yeah, for evidence. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and un- unlocking the beliefs, it, mm. it, that is the key. Because you know, I've been doing it with my wife this week, and you're absolutely right about um, your core values as mm. well. So I will often get people to write out their beliefs that are limiting them in their life, that are holding them back, and then assign values often they're, they're negative values or negative emotions mm-hmm. to those and to those beliefs and then create new beliefs and put their core values and make sure they align with their core values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people partake in activities, jobs, uh, or have friends or whatever, that, and, and it doesn't align with their core values. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't even know what they are. I mean, I could probably rattle off four or five of mine, but um, and funny enough, I'm in the process of writing my second book, and there's a huge chapter about values, and I wrote a list of about 150 values last week so people can actually circle them in the book and, mm-hmm. and get some clarity around their values. Yeah, because yeah. I, I that's one of the biggest things I learned from my coach training was about the values and beliefs they were put into different sections and that was like okay this is the power ball there's the structure there's all this stuff around but when I studied that bit I was like okay now we're getting somewhere in terms of behavior change and the person themselves affecting their behavior change and feeling moving from that place of being confused uncomfortable to clear and then competent you know and feeling a 
good you know finding because we we always say don't we man you know as we talk about loving sober it's not about white knuckling through a miserable thing because you shouldn't do it it's about how do we love sober how do we love our lives sober you know so and this is the thing with dry january i did a video on the be sober youtube channel that was called is dry january worth it and Mm. it is by the way but um the I've just given away the ending, but the, <laughs> but the, the point was that a lot of people do it on willpower, and willpower is like a muscle. Over time, it wears out. You imagine holding a weight above your head for thirty days. You know, it's just, to me, willpower is like that, and mm. you're not going to find a life of complete freedom using willpower alone. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and and it's funny sometimes when because people sort of see, you know, see me happily being sober and and kind of and then when you start to sort of like, when you understand the context, I mean, like you know, I live in France. My husband's like a wine connoisseur. We have a wine fridge in our house. You know, it's like, like it's it's not that it's just like I'm just like Woo-hoo. it's 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 been work. It's been hurt. To de sort of destruct all those beliefs about my relationship with my husband and my lifestyle and the importance that wine culture has had in my life, you know, mm-hmm. and and I, you can do that and understand and still survive and love your life sober, in a very very kind of dominant alcohol centric, you know, sort of relationship I suppose. So, yeah, um, I, I love that idea of just you know much. I had so many beliefs that my life would not be happy if I stopped drinking red wine because I, I believed it was integrally important in my relationship with my husband. And it turns out that it's not. <laughs> so thank yeah, but, so, yeah, absolutely. So, so did I. Not not with your yeah. husband, but with my husband. We, yeah, we used to drink, every, we'd drink every evening together. I, I, I remember occasions where we would go out and – because my habit was drinking red wine at home. So we would go out and I would just be itching to get back and drink. And sometimes I would go, I remember an occasion we went to the races at Ascot and everyone was drinking champagne. And I, I did drink during the day, but I was wary of not getting too drunk so I could come yeah. back home and still have two bottles of red wine. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that was I know that much- one. It just had power. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, and, and almost when I, I think about my relationship with my husband and feeling the same, and it, it just, once you're sort of out of it, you realise that it took a central centre stage and had and was endowed with an, an importance which wasn't there. And I thank God, you know, and almost I feel a bit sad about doing that to our relationship, thinking it was that important to us. Like, what is that? You know, yeah. that is the nature of a powerful, addictive, depressive drug um, and combined with society's messages about it and habitual use, you know. Yeah, and exactly. Like... And also the conditioning we receive at kids. Yeah. As a kid, you know, I mentioned my daddy used to drink red wine every day in front of me when yeah. I was young. I wanted to be just like him when I grew up. I looked up to him and I thought, well, that yeah, there's something sophisticated. There's something grown up about that. I want to do that. And then, as you say, we're getting bombarded with marketing messages telling you, you know, if you drink this, you'll meet the perfect girl and you'll walk along the beach holding hands with her. If you, you know, if you, if you drink this, you'll have an amazing career when the fact is you'll actually probably smash your car drunk and end up in the gutter. But they they obviously don't show you that in the adverts. No, exactly. Yeah. 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 
Okay, well, tell us a little about um, about your book. So it's called The Sober Survival Guide. So it's out on Amazon. Yeah. So yeah. tell us a little bit about how you came to write it and, and yeah. Well, I, ne I never actually set out to write a book. I I'd been blogging loads on my website and sharing articles, and I knew they were helping people. And I, my Facebook group's got about 8,500 members at the moment, and a, a lot of people kept saying to me, you know, you could get the comments from here and you could put it all in a book and it would be amazing. And that was kind of how it started, but that's not what the book is ended up being. So that kind of put the seed in my mind. And unfortunately, I'm an all or nothing person. Once it gets planted, that was it. I had to kind of run forward with it. Um, and I looked at what else was out there. And there's lots of books that help you quit drinking and give you the tactics you need. And they're awesome. There's so many wonderful books and I love them. But I didn't find, or uh, yeah, there weren't any that kind of, I felt set you up for long-term success and specifically dealt with the challenges that come up over the months and the years ahead. So I thought, well, I'll, that's what I can bring to this. I can offer something slightly different. So the book's in two parts. The first part is part memoir and loads and loads of tactics about changing your beliefs and finding proper freedom from alcohol. And the second half is just chapter by chapter specific issues and challenges that come up. So there's a section on going on holiday sober, going to wedding sober, sober sex, you know, that, I had to write that one. You know, all, all of mm. All of the things that come up that I get asked time and time again are, are all in there as individual chapters, which is why I call it the Sober Survival Guide. So people can kind of reach back to it if they suddenly get a wedding invite dropped through the letterbox and say, right, there's a chapter on this. Let me just make sure I'm set for success. Amazing. Um, yeah. And it, 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 like I said, I never set out to write a book and I'm now halfway through writing the second one, which is going to be a sort of quit alcohol in 60 days and it's more of a there's exercises daily for people to do so mm. each day the first half of the book prepares you for the day you put the glass down mm. and very much kind of explore yourself answer questions dig into your beliefs mm. and then you work through the second bit so um the the lady who kind of helps me with with the book and corrects all my spelling errors she said um they felt like the second book actually should have come before the other one, but that's the way I do things. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Sober Survival Guide's just yeah. been incredible. And what was wonderful is it it's enabled me to get my message out there. And we yeah. talked about guys in the sober space. You know, I've, I've had I was on Radio Four a couple of uh, last New Year's Eve. Um, and I actually had a couple of guys message me after that saying, you know, I found it so inspiring. It's wonderful you're talking about this stuff. And if I hadn't written the book, I would never have been kind of out yeah. there talking about these things. Yeah, yeah. And I think my my new favourite word, which uh, came through various sober people last year, was was pivot. You know, pivot points. And I think that's something that we we allow so much more in sobriety. And and it is that thing. It's just like, well, I wrote this book, but and then I've thought of mm. something else, and so I wrote another book. But yeah. it doesn't matter. Like, it, you know, I'm not going to – those are just pivots of different understanding mm. and different knowledge, and it's like – and it just keeps sort of building, and that's what you're doing constantly as a sober person. You're just building on knowledge constantly and learning, mm. and, and that's what I love about it, I suppose. My, uh, my word for 2020, which um, 
I, I think I came up with it, but I saw it somewhere recently in an article as well. So I, I can't claim complete um, ownership of it. Is is that sober is like liquid vegan. And what, what I mean by that is when you look at somebody who's vegan, they're passionate, they're proud of their lifestyle. They're not sat in the corner crying because they can't have dairy and meat products. They are super passionate about what they do. So mm. sober is liquid vegan. Yeah. So, Very nice. <laughs> that's that's my, my kind of current phrase at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. No, totally. And it's all about being proud, isn't it? And feeling good about the choices that we make, you know, driving. So, um, yeah. We're going we're gonna to have to come to draw it to a close soon. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to ask what sort of plans and projects are coming up this year before you go. Yeah, so we've got the, I'm talking at the Club Soda Mindful Drinking Festival, um, uh, not this weekend, the one after, which I, I know you guys 18th. Are- 18th of January, yeah. So we've just we're on the panel. We're doing a sober parenting panel at 11 o'clock on the Saturday, and you are on Saturday afternoon. Is that right? Yeah, I think I'm on about 5 p.m. on the Saturday okay. afternoon. So yeah, looking forward to that. Obviously, I'm working my way through the new book, and I'm currently coaching in the January Alcohol Experiment, which has got over 2000 members which is awesome um so and we have those every other month so they keep me pretty busy but after the next book is completed i don't actually know where i'm going to go from there and what the next project will be i'm sure something's going to come up i just want to keep spreading the message and, yeah. and getting the word yeah. out Excellent. well i think it's great that that kind of you know that focus on on male sobriety and mm. and and opening those conversations around mental health you know that's the great niche to build I suppose yeah I I see yeah definitely I you know I see it sort of that 360 at the moment for parenting but also you know I've got a a tween going into adolescence that really needs some kind of conversation about masculinity to and tribe and something about that to really really shift so I, I think it's a real I look forward to that I'm looking forward to that male space I really am yeah yeah, and it's a growing space yeah, as well. It, sure. It's incredible. It's interesting, just touching on kids and parenting as well. The number of young adults that are turning their back on alcohol is incredible. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got a, um, a business, a marketing company I run, and we've got, I think there's four or five guys who are in their early 20s, and none of them drink. They're just not interested. They, to them, it's their parents' drug, and they just, mm-hmm. it's not for them. And, you know, my 15-year-old is very much the same so the, the culture i believe is shifting in, in a positive way oh i hope so yeah okay so before we finish we always finish with a tip of the day and your reason to love sober so what's your tip of the day well my tip of the day is definitely on the whole liquid vegan thing to really our, our expectations about something shape our experience of it so if we come into sobriety or you're sober curious and you're passionate about it, you're excited about the changes you're going to experience, likelihood is you're going to have fun, you're going to enjoy the ride and have a wonderful experience. If you come into it feeling a sense of deprivation, like you've had your toys taken off you, the complete opposite is likely to happen. So think like a vegan is my tip. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and what's your reason to love sober? I would say being fully present, I'm 
so much more mentally resilient and grounded these days. And that is probably the biggest thing I love about it, just connecting particularly with my son and my wife and seeing my relationships improve like 100% or more. Um, It's just being fully present and and connected and engaged all the time. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been amazing to talk to you. Um, Yeah. Just brilliant. and like I said, just really look forward to kind of watching this space of what happens next with that. Yeah, we, with all of that, I think you're doing awesome work. So, yeah, well, so yeah. are you guys, and I really appreciate you having me on today. It's been a been an honour to be on your podcast. Oh, well, it's nice to have you on. So <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks, so thanks much. again. So if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, please do reach out. As we've all been saying on the podcast, there's, you know, there's lots of options now um online and if you are you can always visit your gp um so baristas has an anonymous ask the doctor service and alcohol change has lots of um advice lots of blogs and uh, agencies of local support that you might be able to access but and get in touch with us you can get in touch with simon um and really just find the thing that fits and don't feel like you're alone because there's lots of us out here so just reach out Um, and have a good week and we'll see you next week for more chat bye